Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. My guest for this podcast is Kurt Ellis, co-founder and executive director of the National Service Organization, Food Corps. After graduating from Yale University, Kurt and colleagues Ian Cheney and Aaron Wolf created a film called King Corn, an award-winning film nationally recognized for important points that it makes about food systems issues. But also joining us today are two Food Corps service members, uh, two young people out in the field working as, uh, as uh, members of the Food Corps. We have Amy Kleinman and Deanna Lampo, both working in Connecticut in their Food Corps positions. And so we'll talk to them about the uh, experiences they're having working on the ground in the Food Corps. But let me start it off with you, Kurt. Uh, tell us about what the Food Corps is and how you created it. Sure. So uh, starting on Earth Day 2009, which was uh, the day that uh, President Obama signed into law the broadly bipartisan Kennedy Serve America Act, a group of six of us came together to begin developing a national service program that would harness the power of emerging leaders in our food systems conversation to transform the relationship kids have with food in schools. So Food Corps operates now, uh, we just entered our, our second year, and uh, we have a full-time class of 80 service members in the field currently, another dozen second-year Food Corps fellows, uh, working in 12 different states to teach kids about what healthy food is and where it comes from, build and tend school gardens with kids, and work with farmers and chefs and food service workers in schools to get healthy, high-quality food served to kids every day in their school lunches. And was this based on models created previously from the Peace Corps and AmeriCorps? Sure, yeah. Food Corps is part of the AmeriCorps National Service Network, uh, and we are lucky to have a a wealth of inspirations from the Peace Corps to Teach for America to City Year uh, to some programs using the AmeriCorps model uh, specifically with food in Montana and Iowa, Vermont, and New York City. Now, given that there are so many places where one could get involved in food systems, I mean, you could send people to work on farms, you could send them to work with the food companies, there are lots of possibilities, but you chose schools. How come? Well, children really are uh, at, the, at the front lines of our fight against childhood obesity and adult obesity in America. Um, and what we teach kids about food in school affects not only their health, uh, but also their ability to learn. Uh, an ability to pay attention in class, um, and it affects their long-term outcomes as a professional in our society. If you uh, grow up and get a good education, you're better poised for success, and also if you grow up healthy, you're better poised for long-term success. We felt that working with schools would be a chance to connect with kids right when they're adopting a food culture and learning what it means to, to grow up eating in America. So you, it sounds like you could also make the argument, as you started to do at the end, that intervening with kids provides you an opportunity for changing and giving them information that they could use rather than working with people who are older and might have very firmly established food habits and patterns. It's tremendously hard to change the way you eat. Much easier to start getting people on a healthy track from the beginning. So we try to make that happen in schools where kids are growing up learning about food, 
but also where kids are consuming, in many cases, half their daily calories through school lunch and school breakfast and after-school snack programs. Well, one sign, at least in my mind, that you're onto a winning idea is the number of people who are applying for these precious positions. Can you tell us some of the numbers? Absolutely. We uh, we had more than a thousand people apply last year and this year to serve in Food Corps. We had a, a first class that just wrapped up their service. There were 50 people in that cohort, and now we've grown to 80 service members and a dozen second-year fellows. Um, and the level of talent and passion and interest and enthusiasm and, quite honestly, expertise that comes through our applicant pool is really inspiring. Well, given the number of talented and energetic, motivated people who are applying these, for these positions, how do you, what sort of qualities do you look for when you make the decisions? It's interesting in that um, we obviously want people who are extremely intelligent and uh, accomplished, but we also want people who are humble who are going to be great public servants, because at the end of the day, this is a national service program. Um, we're looking for people who are willing to embed themselves in the fabric of a community and selflessly work with local partners, whoever comes to the table to be part of the conversation, to really move the ball forward on connecting kids to healthy food. Many of our service members uh, interned on farms for a summer. Many of our service members uh, studied nutrition or food systems. Some of them went to culinary school. Um, we have a number of people who have previous teaching experience. Um, but really, we're looking for candidates who care deeply about food and love working with kids and are willing to jump in with both feet and uh, get their boots in the mud. Well, it sounds like a remarkable group of people, and I'd like to talk to two among this remarkable group in just a minute with Amy and, and Deanna here. But before we do that, your food, the Food Corps service members, it sounds from what you tell me, are involved in a wide array of things out there in the communities. Could you give us some sense of the types of things they generally do? Sure. So we work in a dozen different states, and in each place where we operate, uh, school food looks very different, uh, and food culture looks very different. Jackson, Mississippi is nothing like rural Montana uh, when it comes to how people farm and eat there. So we choose local partner organizations in each of the communities where we work and put service members on the ground under their direction. And service members, wherever they are in the country, are still doing the same three basic things. They're teaching kids about healthy food through hands-on nutrition education activities. They're doing school garden projects that are gateways for kids to try new food that they've grown themselves and gateways for kids to learn to cook a little bit of food and fall in love with a recipe like salsa or pesto. And we're working with school food service staff and local farmers to get healthy, high-quality food served in school meals every day. Okay, so let's talk with Amy and Deanna now. So Amy, we'll start with you. Where are you from? I just moved from Los Angeles, California. Okay, and you went to college in California? Yeah, Northern California. Okay, and um, what made you become interested in the food corps? Um, I heard about it at a sustainability club meeting. Um, the buzz for it was it hadn't really reached my campus or the circles that I had been working in. And so when I heard about it, I kind of went home, looked it up, and discovered that it was the perfect program. It met everything that I was interested in. And it also gave me the ability to move somewhere else that I would not have normally gone and got my feet dirty in a community that I had never... I would have never been to, I'm serving in Bridgeport, and I would have never been to Bridgeport had it not been for something like this program. Uh, I got involved because childhood obesity is such 
a well-talked-about topic right now, but I don't see it being addressed in the school systems that I've been working in or even came out of. I had gone through you know, 13 years of school without having ever been taught nutrition ed until college level, and at that point it's voluntary. So I think that not connecting kids for that long and at the point where I had been taught about nutrition, I had already been accustomed to what Kurt said, my eating habits were already set in stone. And to teach, I can teach myself all I want about nutrition, but I am spearheading that and it's not being input by anybody else. So these kids in these uh, elementary schools are the perfect target age for getting to teach them about eating habits before they've kind of constructed their own mold of what it is to eat healthy. And a lot of them are so distant from what good food, come, where it comes from and what it does for your body. They're, they're just eating um, what's in the school system and what they're, what they're getting at home. And it's not, it might not be good for their body, but they, they don't know where to educate themselves and they're, there's no, no one's advocating for them. So I think that's a good role for Food Corps to play. So I'll come back in a minute and ask you what in particular you're doing in Bridgeport. Yeah. But let me uh, ask Deanna the same question. So where are you from? I am from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, originally from New York, but from Lancaster. Um, I went to school at Millersville University of Pennsylvania, and I found out about Food Corps while I was in college. Um, I originally went to school for culinary arts. Always had a passion for food, but it took a little bit of a different route um, academically, and I studied it um, under sociology and cultural anthropology, but I focused on food and culture. Um, and, and tell me about your Food Corps position. What are you doing now? Um, I am in three elementary schools in New Britain and so teaching, New Britain, Connecticut. Yeah, right. incorporating nutrition education into the curriculum um, and also building and tending school gardens there and trying to work with the food service director and increase local fruits and vegetables into the school cafeteria. So the, you talked about integrating uh, nutrition information into the curriculum. Where, where would that get into the curriculum? What sort of classes would it end up in? Um, science, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to center my lessons um, based around the Connecticut's Common Core. So I'm trying to go off of the second grade science curriculum now. Um, also, I'm in the PE, but in the physical education department at Lincoln Elementary. Mm-hmm. Um, so just keeping the kids active and taking them out to the garden and doing tastings with them there. So you're actually doing some of the teaching yourself yes. of the nutrition. Well, that, that sounds like it's probably very helpful for the school because then it doesn't count on the teachers being expert on that topic. Yes. Teachers are very welcoming, and I've had a lot of them open me with wel- open arms um, in the schools. And then there's also challenges to it, but I've only been at it for a month now and hoping that they open up to it, and it seems like it's there. Okay, so it sounds like you're, the, the food core can influence the, the school in a lot of ways. There can be gardens. It can be in, influence the school system through the curriculum, uh, through interacting with a food service director. It sounds like there are a number of things that yes. you do. Okay. Um, let's turn, turn to you, Amy, and, and find out what you're doing in Bridgeport. So I'm serving as, I am based in Wholesome Wave, uh, a local nonprofit based all over the country, but in Bridgeport, they're trying to connect mid to local size farms to connect with farmers um, and create farm stands for people in these um, limited resource communities. And then I also am working with the Bridgeport Nutrition Services, so the food service director who they're in charge of creating these school menus. So it's a great place to be located, um, really in the middle of it all, and what I'm really realizing is, like Deanna said, we're really new to this. We're a month in, but I'm noticing that a lot of what I do is 
there's people all over Bridgeport community that are doing wonderful things independently. So connecting all of those people around Bridgeport, connecting the people who are building gardens with the nutrition people to collaborate and teach nutrition in the garden like seamlessly for these students who, um, you know, I think of it as second nature, but I want those kids to draw those connections. If you're not talking about the garden at all, you're still in the garden talking about healthy food, where it's grown, and what it can do for your body. So healthy food is something that these kids in their own mind have an idea of what it means and we want to advocate for them through the school system what it means to eat healthy and where our food comes from and where it's grown. Well there's something you said that I'd like to ask Kurt about to follow up on. In, in your experience in Bridgeport you say there are a lot of things that are happening mm-hmm. in different parts of the community and that as a food core service member you can help coordinate it, organize it, bring these people together and things like that. But what impressed me is that there's a lot of interest in different people doing different things. Kurt, do you think that's true nationally, that there are a lot of people interested in these food issues? Absolutely. So um, when we were first launching Food Corps, we put out a call for partner organizations to see who wanted to lead the Food Corps program in their states. And uh, just looking for state-level partners, we had 108 organizations from 39 states in the District of Columbia apply to host food core throughout their state. And it was a real sign to us that there's so much interest and enthusiasm right now around this work. But at the same time, there aren't that many things stitching it all together. Uh, There really is this kind of patchwork of organizations fighting for better food in the schools in their communities. And a a group like Food Corps at the national level can, can be the thread that stitches those independent pieces of fabric together into a quilt. Well, it sounds very promising to have all this interest and then some potential organizing body. Uh, Deanna, let me ask you a question. Given that you're working with the food service people in the schools, so these are the people that for years and, I mean, forever since schools were invented are having to feed lots and lots of kids. There are challenges in the classrooms about not having enough time for school meals and things like that. Uh, The food service people get accustomed to doing things a certain way. Um, how receptive are they to the kind of messages that you're bringing forward? And are they motivated in working with the food corps? Um, they are, but they're also, I know, really strapped for time right now trying to get their, I guess, things organized with all the new regulations centered around my plate. And um, so they're very receptive. I'm just kind of letting them breathe now and then letting them know that I'm there to assist them and not overstepping my boundaries either. Um, so. You know, it's interesting. Um, Kurt, I'd like to ask you about this, too, given that this is their domain, this is their kingdom, and to have people come in from the outside and try to work with them requires a certain amount of diplomacy, I'm assuming. And how do you navigate through that? It does require diplomacy, but uh, diplomacy comes easier to young people, in a sense, than it does to professional competition. And I think there's something very different about having these Food Corps service members, you know, average age in our Corps this year is 24, um, come in as real community volunteers. I mean, we pay our service members a a $15,000 stipend for the year, so they're living at the poverty line. Um, To come in and say, I care about the work you're doing, I value the work you're doing, and I'm here to help you, is very different from someone coming in, wagging their finger, saying, you're not feeding our kids right, you need to change what you're doing. Um, we try to be a real partner to food service workers. 
Uh, Amy, you talked about working with farmers. Have in, I, I know you're pretty new to the job, but have you been interacting with farmers very much, and how receptive are they to the, they to the kind of things you're talking about? Yeah, so um, on my first couple of days in Bridgeport, I went to the farm stands that Wholesome Wave puts on, too, in Bridgeport and uh, for the week that I was there. And they, the couple of farmers from Chicorelli were there, and the community are hugely receptive to what's going on. And they, the point of what they're doing is that you present, you're presenting fresh fruits and vegetables. The community will want them, and there is a, there's a huge line for them. Um, one of the big priorities for principals and food service people in Bridgeport is that there's 30 schools in Bridgeport, but there's a big pull for farm to institution. And one of the ways that we're trying to integrate that is using our school gardens to advocate for, on a bigger scale, having farms. And so if you're teaching in the school garden and you're teaching about all of these great problems, you're teaching them all about great food and stuff, but you can't teach them about what this looks like on a bigger scale because maybe they've never seen a farm or they're really disconnected from what a farm even looks like. They might have it in their mind that it's where we go and pick pumpkins in the fall, and that's just where that that's just about it. So that's what we're kind of working on, and we're doing nutrition classes in the garden. You know, like Kurt said, these kids may um, – we're cooking pesto in the garden using basil, and some of the principals are advocating for more cilantro or more parsley, but – we're taking what we have in the garden, and we're using them to cook something that they haven't normally had before. They've never heard of pesto. They never had it. I did a class yesterday. Four people said they went home and made it with their families. It would have not normally happened. So these are just small, small steps, but they're they're much bigger than they seem on the outside. Well, this reminds me of something that, Kurt, you and I talked about a few moments ago, that if a farmer sells whatever he or she raises mm-hmm. to somebody who sells it to somebody who then processes it and gets it to the end consumer, it must feel like a much different experience than when the farmer is standing there selling her or his food to the person who's going to consume it. Uh, is, and that's a big part of what you're trying to accomplish, I gather. It's really true. Yeah, we, we helped put on the first farm-to-school pilot project in Jackson, Mississippi last year where uh, we had farmers come in and personally dish up in the school cafeteria the sweet potatoes and collard greens that they had grown. And to have kids from the Jackson Public Schools lined up next to this local farmer in overalls getting to know each other over a, a plate of food uh, that was grown just a few miles from the school was a really special uh, sign that those connections were being made. And it starts to change the way the next generation views farming as a profession, to say, here's somebody who is here in front of me, proud of what they have created, uh, using just the soil and the sun is a really pretty cool thing. Well, you can imagine people enjoying the taste of things more under these circumstances. There could be a real difference in taste because it's fresh, it's local, etc. But there could also be this perception of better taste just because you you see the farmer and you shake his hand or you get to know him. And things. That's it. I mean, food is, food is all about stories. It's all about the backstory. And um, the reason your grandmother's pie tasted so good was because she was your grandmother and you loved her. <laughs> I'm sure the pie was also uh, pretty good empirically. But um, there is something really amazing about the way the flavor of the food we eat is influenced by the emotions we have around it. And there's mm-hmm. something particularly special about having a direct relationship with a farmer who has toiled away in the sun growing this food. Uh, and it's it's the thing kids experience when they uh, work, you know, get to eat farm fresh food in a cafeteria, but it, they experience it firsthand when they 
grow something in a school garden themselves and say, I made that tomato, and doesn't it taste great? You know, Deanna, is that, since you're working with kids in the schools, is that your experience, the kids are reacting in that way? Yeah, they're really excited. Um, the first day that I took them out in the garden, um, they were so eager to just share the stories of the gardens that their parents grow at home and what they use in their, at their table and um, taught them how to pick a tomato, and they're all really excited. Didn't get to taste them yet, but working on that. Um, and also for the after-school programs, I went in to introduce the garden that we just installed at Smalley Academy, and the reaction that I got from them was just enthusiasm, and they were all looking for the sign-up slip. It's really nice to hear these stories. Well, I'd like to draw this to a close. We could go on a long time because you guys are doing such amazing and interesting things, and it's nice to see this kind of excitement. And my role here is the interviewer, but if I could insert an editorial comment, I mean, God bless you all. This is just the most exciting work, and to see such talented young people who could be doing lots of amazing things with their lives, devoted to the food systems issues out there in the community, working with real farmers and real children and real teachers and real food service people, is is just such a great sign for the future. And I, I think that you're a sign of the changing times, but you're also changing the times yourselves, which are really nice. So congratulations for what you've done. And congratulations to you, Kurt, for having given birth with your colleagues to such an amazing thing. It's really very impressive to see. Thanks, Kelly. Glad to have you here. So please visit our Rudd our Center website, <laughs> www.yalerudcenter.org. There you'll find a variety of uh, resources on food and food policy issues, including a long list of podcasts that we've recorded with excellent guests who come to the Rudd Center. Thank you. <laughs>